I V M. A niche thing explores subcultures around us that make for great interests and hobbies. These range from topics like affordable art to exploring the world of coffee, hi-fi, sneakers, watches, vintage fashion, where the list goes on and on. It's a podcast with something for everyone. So let the conversation begin. On today's episode of Anish Thing we're discussing cheese ranging from paneer to pecorino. I want to deep dive a little bit more to understand the world of cheese. I've tasted a lot of different cheese during my travels to Europe and also hanging out with some really fun people like today's guest Aditya Raghavan. Adi and I met a few years back. You know during the early days of craft brewing in Bombay there was so much food and beer pop-ups happening. Adi ran a really cool project called the Danda Food Project from 2016 to 18 and he's actually a scientist. He's got a PhD in physics and he left his academic career to make cheese. So recently I figured that he's in Bombay reached out to him and I thought I must have him on the podcast. Adi now lives in Canada where he set up his new cheese company called Flo Jean and we will speak with him right after these short messages. Welcome back to Anish Thing and welcome to the show Adi good to see you after so long. Yeah, it's great to be here. Been a while man. Yeah. <laughs> so uh to get right into things just tell me what is cheese how do you even define cheese? That's a, a very interesting uh, question. Of course, I think of cheese as a uh, one very good way of uh, preserving milk. Okay. So that's how I think of it. What's vegan cheese then? Hmm? What's vegan cheese? What's vegan cheese? Oh. This is my question for later <laughs> but yeah, if you're going by that definition where does vegan cheese fit in? Vegan cheese is uh, is tailored obviously for uh, to sort of be like actual cheese but be vegan for yeah. people who prefer the diet for whatever reasons. But yeah, so that's uh, there's no real clear definition of why it would exist. I think the real if you talk from a cultural point of view, I would say tofu is the closest thing to real vegan cheese. Yeah. In that sense, a way to, you know, use you soy milk and then create this product that's solid, you know. So if we go back to the history of cheese, culturally preservation would be the main yes, point. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And how do you then start defining cheese in terms of classifications? Like do you go by hard soft type stuff or do you go by types of milk yeah i mean so there are several ways to look at it but i would say for one definitely types of milk uh, what's happened is historically like i'll give you an example of feta for example the traditional european union defined a feta and raza it's it's regulated in europe to use the word feta it has to have it has to be sheep milk with only up to 15 to 20% of goat milk and there's no cow milk but that is the traditional version of feta but nowadays obviously everyone makes feta with cow milk in other parts of the world and they still call it feta so i would say that uh, there is a historical context to every cheese but uh, knowing the milk is important uh, and then knowing the what the texture should be of the cheese is important and uh, also with that comes the age of the cheese okay so these are three factors that sort of uh, initially would help you define a cheese so the way i would break this down is uh, you can have uh, uh, cheeses of various ages like a fresh cheese is usually a soft cheese it's almost like the way you have labne which is a very popular product from the middle east and which many people in india are used to now and have had a taste of soft creamy cheese like that in in europe you have the version of that is called fromage blanc in france in uh, germany it's called uh, quark and there are various versions of that in all milk producing uh, communities across the world and so these are just soft cheeses that are not expected to last for years or even months they're supposed to be eaten fresh 
out of that developed this uh, sort of like the Philadelphia cream cheese, which was a stabilized product that can sit in your fridge for months. But that is more like an industrial product there. So and that was made so that because people like the soft texture, but they want to buy a jar and maybe not eat all of it within five days. Uh, so with the, so that's the soft cheese. Then you have cheeses like a bloomy rind, which is a cheese which is uh, starts off as pretty, pretty soft and then you have this mold that grows on this beautiful white velvety mold and and then develops this really mushroomy and, and gooey texture inside. Obviously, good examples of that would be brie or camembert. And then from that, we can go to other types of cheeses where you have, where they're meant to be firm, but then they age differently for different reasons. And that's when it gets very interesting. So for example, your classic cheddar, for example, that you that most of us are comfortable with is available in several ages. You can get a young cheddar, which is just maybe 30 days old, and you can get a really aged cheddar, which is uh, two years or three years old. And so uh, these cheeses have that entire spectrum or that entire lifespan where they change in flavor and have more and more complexity. And there is a purpose to aging them more and more. Uh, but of course, as you age them, they lose weight, like they, they lose moisture and the weight reduces. And there's a lot of labor in, in aging them longer. And so the price starts going up much like, you know, like expensive wine. Yeah, example. I was just going to yeah. say that's so yeah. much like wine. Even terwa would come into play, right? Like how you said that initially, let's say this good feta example. Right. Uh, but now it's done differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of, uh, it, not Italian only, but a lot of European cheese comes with its own uh, terwa or GI sort of uh, regulations. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, similar to the GI tag in India, there is uh, AOC, that's the Appellation of Original Control A, again, similar to the wine yeah. world again. And you have versions of that. It's it's called uh, a PDO in Italy, which is product, I don't know, I don't remember what it stands for. You can Google it. Okay. And uh, so you have various versions where, so the definition of that cheese is decided upon by the community that or the sort of like the union of cheese makers within that community. For example, Asiago. Yeah. There are 15 cheese makers that make it and there may be let's say 30 or 40 families who who actually have the cows that produce the milk and all that stuff and so they come together and decide they call, it's like a consortium they come together and decide how they want to define Asiago and then the EU will pass that on and that has been passed many years back many decades back but that's how it happened the EU then passed it on and defined that this is an Asiago cheese it has to be from so and so cow it has to be from only summer milk. Sometimes, maybe not. As, I'm giving you an yeah, example yeah, here. Course. It has to be only grass-fed. This is the type of culture you can use. No other culture in the recipe. You cannot do certain things and you can do certain things with some variability because every farmer might make it slightly different. So it's not strict so that it becomes an industrial product, but it is adhering to cultural restrictions so that it doesn't get diluted and cannot be gone. So you can't make Asiago in some other town, basically. Yeah. It has to come from the Venetian Alps or wherever it comes from now. And you can't take that idea. We can make that in India, but we shouldn't be calling that Asiago, basically. Yeah. So uh, even a cheese like uh, Parmesan yeah. uh, is that? That's definitely uh, yeah, a DOP cheese. Yeah. yeah. And you cannot... Uh, like it's So obviously... Parmigiano Reggiano is uh, is from Modena, and yeah. so it's, uh, that's one that's controlled. And you can also have a smaller a subcategory, like you have the the Vacherosse, which is Parmigiano Reggiano Vacherosse is red cows. So that's only from these. I mean, it's not the color of the cow; it's actually a breed called Vacherosse, and so uh, so you can only have it from that. And so those are some of the good sort of uh, rules that were set into place in Europe because cheese. Let's face it, cheese 
you can go to Australia, you can go to the US, there's some great artisanal cheese. India is a booming market, and oh, we're yeah. going to talk about that soon. Uh, we, we'll definitely get yeah. into that. But uh, all cheese is basically, like the cheese that we identify as cheese, is, is basically European yeah. products, right? Much like in the wine world, right? And uh, of course, with a few exceptions, maybe of wine being made into, well, Turkey is part of EU, or is about to become part of oh, EU. Yeah. But uh, apart from that, most, most of these things are traditionally European products, yeah. I remember growing up, uh, there was a cheese uh, in Kashmir called Kalari. <laughs> and uh, we would go to uh, the market and there would be these street vendors uh, selling Kalari with some salt. Right. And nice. I, I think that's my first memory of a cheese that was not a Amul cheese from a tin can. Right. <laughs> that just was different. So basically the cheese and terroir part, we've spoke about it earlier. I'll get into how do you get to start evaluating cheese or tasting cheese, right? Like, for example, these cheese that we've got from the market, right? Mm-hmm. How good is this? Like like you spoke about texture and uh, typicity, I'm assuming, will come into play that if this is the sort of cheese, what are the defining things? Right. So moving on to tasting cheese. I've got a bunch of uh, really like uh, random cheese from uh, the supermarket. <laughs> Take me through tasting some of this stuff, right? What all are the points that you look for? Like, let's say you mentioned texture earlier. Right. And I'm guessing if it is a blue cheese or a, let's say, uh, this Parmesan, there are certain, what we call in the wine world, this typicity, right? If it's come from a certain classification, you're expecting a certain taste. So what kind of things would you expect? And if, let's say, a brie was not made in France, but was made in India, Mm -hmm. how would your expectation or evaluation change of that? Right. Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so just looking at the cheese board that we have in front of us right now, I think visual. Let's talk about visuals first. You want, I mean, I can see that there's a sheep milk cheese. The way you identify sheep milk cheese is that it's white. It has a glossy look to it. And this is, in fact, a truffle pecorino from uh, from Italy, I presume. Yeah. And um, and so this is uh, a great example of, of visual cues to identify different cheeses. Of course, blue cheese is easy. And we have, a I guess that's a Gouda. A, yeah infused uh, with with cumin seeds which is very popular among indians of course so that's a one step now most people like when you ask someone what their favorite cheese is it could be anything they could say anything they could say provolone they could say yeah. gouda they could say cheddar but if you ask them to use more words to describe why they like this cheese over the other cheese that's when it becomes complicated and sometimes it could just be a single reference maybe they just had an artisanal gouda from you know from some cheese maker within india and they just really like that but that doesn't mean they particularly like that entire category of cheeses, right? And so it's hard for people to understand or for the people who don't work in cheese to, to understand those nuances. Even saying how a cheddar and a gouda are different, like what do you taste that's different between them is, is a difficult concept for many chefs as well. Like why is it different? Like how can you, can you, do you have the words to describe why it's different? different? So it becomes quite difficult to get into that in, in a lot of detail. But uh the key identifiers for me is that Gouda, uh, with the cumin Gouda here, it's a young cheese. You definitely want the beautiful cumin flavor in. It should be, it should have good salt content, but it should also be mellow with a little bit of milkiness flavor to it. Okay. And if you compare that with a, a cheddar, cheddar will have a little more of a stronger flavor. And so right off the bat, I'm, I'm just going to try some. Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So what we have in front of us right now, we're first going to try the Gouda. So this is like a herb gouda. What you're looking for here is, is a fairly soft paste which with a bit of glossiness. So a cheddar typically won't have that glossiness. It's sort of, when I say glossiness, I'm saying it almost looks plasticky. It almost looks like, like artificial, but it's obviously not. It's delicious, but it has that little bit of that shiny look to it. 
and that's what you're looking for flavor wise if you eat it and i'm just going to try some right now this one has garlic and nettles in it it's very flavorful from the spices and herbs used but the cheese itself has a very mellow sort of background which makes it a great canvas to add flavors to right you don't want to add flavors to a cheese that's going to be very strong flavored on its own because that just gets a little complicated is so, adding flavors to cheese a no no in the cheese making world though not really it's not i mean it is it's an easy way to skews out of yeah. one recipe basically as a producer that's an easy solution because if you have a small little shop and instead of just having one gouda to sell now suddenly you have 15 gouda to sell and people might buy three pieces and so just one and so that's one reason to do it of course flavors have historically been used a lot in cheese it is a way for a cheese maker to be creative they want to be creative as well with their product and sometimes using flavors is a good way of doing it a smoked cheese for example can yeah. be delicious right and so i personally like i avoid doing a lot of flavor cheese but sometimes i think it is necessary to do because people they tend to look for that as well i think the market also sort of expects this how do you smoke cheese like all these smoked cheddars where, where does the smoking process start i mean the real way to do it the the proper smoked cheddar that you get is the applewood smoked cheddar which is you take whole wheels of cheddar and you have to cold smoke it cold smoke means below below 25 degrees celsius ideally it's still so butter fat melting point is about 22 degrees celsius so what happens is that as it smokes at 25 degrees celsius some of the fat from the cheese will sort of come out of the cheese you'll see this when you even leave cheese at indian room temperatures yeah. for a while it gets a little oily on the outside yeah. so that's what's happening in the smoker but all that smoke gets attached to that fat and so if you buy an applewood smoked cheddar you'll see that sort of that orange rind on it oh, basically yeah. which is fully edible but that's just the fat that had come out when you were smoking it and it's absorbed all the smoke and it's created this beautiful color that's what happens with like even with smoked meat smoked yeah. chicken and you know ham and all that so that's one way of doing it whole wheels that's the best way to do it but nowadays people also add liquid smoke and that's uh, definitely a very convenient way of doing it uh, liquid smoke is basically um, it's like a, a food safe liquid that has flavors of smoke in it little goes a long way like 1 teaspoon for like 50 liters of milk will create that flavor a little so, uh, cheat way of doing it yeah it's a, it's not the real thing uh, moving on to the next cheese we mm-hmm. have over here the pecorino pecorino which you said uh, sheep's milk because it's got that uh, it, it's white and it's got that shine to it yes that's a good uh, cheat uh, code to know <laughs> the next time being able to identify stuff so, so uh, how's a how's a typical pecorino supposed to be so again you'll notice a bit of sweetness uh, sheep milk is people don't realize this and you can't substitute sheep milk for goat milk even though sheep's and goats look very similar and if you're someone who really likes mutton you don't want lamb oh, yeah. right it's the same thing so you can't they're not equivalent sheep milk is actually uh, has a very high fat percentage a strong amount of calcium in it so it uh, gives a high yield in the cheese as well it's a great milk to use for making cheese Buffalo milk is close to sheep milk in that in the those numbers if you will like the the statistics of the milk they obviously otherwise they have lots of differences sheep milk you're looking for a sweetness as well as sort of a mellowness with sheep milk it's not barnyardy or funky or anything like that there's a sweetness to it there is a firmness because of the high calcium content it gets quite tight and sometimes that leads to almost a crumbly texture no matter what this one is not which is good and of course with the truffles it's really nice So when you taste this you're seeing the very mellow flavor a sweetness from the sheep milk has a lot of sweetness in it natural sheep milk and that's a very good example of that if you're having this after something like your gouda. your your gouda there it's um, 
you'll notice that the salt content is much lower in this, right? And that's uh, typically the way with the, with some sheep cheeses. There are the exceptions like Pecorino Romano is famously very salty. That comes from the Roman area. And uh, the more Tuscan style Pecorinos and if you go Sicily side, south side, uh, southern Italy, uh, it gets to be a little less salty and more sort of allowing some of that sweetness and the grassy notes of the milk to come out. This one's really good, yeah. Yeah, this one's quite nice. Nice little hint of truffle there, not yeah. too much. This cheese is actually really nice. If anyone's interested, I got this from Nature's Basket. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a solid cheese, yeah. Uh, should we try the other two? Okay, so this is uh, Parmesan here? Yeah. All right. So I think Parmesan for me is interesting because uh, I think a lot of people try to pass off other cheese as Parmesan at restaurants. Mm-hmm. And every time you actually double check with them, they're like, yeah, you know what? It's actually not Parmesan. Right. It's a Grana Padano or something else. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, the biggest difference between Grana and Grana Padano and Parmesan is the size, the format and the size of the wheels. Parmesan's typically, Parmigiano Reggiano is like about a 50 kg wheel. It's, it's uh, like a barrel shaped wheel. It's really heavy. One person can't carry it. Maybe you can. I don't oh, know. Okay. <laughs> 50 kgs is a lot. And... Um, the granas are usually slightly smaller wheels that they make. It's just not, it's a similar cheese. There are lots of similarities and it is okay to, I wouldn't use the word Parmesan for it, but you could put it as grana on the menu. It, oh yeah. It is a cheese Absolutely. that deserves its respect. Yeah. But don't try to pass it off. That that I would yeah. say. Yeah. And So what does one typically look in a Parmesan? Definitely smell. You should first smell it. It's, it has a beautiful aroma. It's very, uh, I get nutty, savory notes, almost like a, uh, let's see if we can get butterscotchy, but salty, like salted caramel butterscotch notes, and a little lots of umami in the aroma as well, like almost like you're smelling a, a bottle of soy sauce. Oh yeah, right. If you open a soy sauce bottle and smell it, there's that sort of that. It's hard to describe apart from saying umami for that smell. But if you smell this and smell a soy sauce bottle, you'll understand that connection. They smell very different, but there's that one commonality there. Texture slightly crumbly, nutty inside. And it is a lower fat cheese than a Gouda, for example. It is made with part skin milk. And so you will notice more of that of that crystallization of the proteins. And so, yeah, beautiful flavor. I mean, again, it's hard to describe. It's a beautiful balance of a little bit of sweetness, good saltiness. And then, you know, I have just a tiny bit of everything in there. This smells really good. Yeah. I've actually never smelled a Parmesan really. And I'm wondering yeah. why I didn't do that earlier. This is, yeah. Yeah, like... I mean, I wouldn't say smell fish sauce and then smell this, yeah. but soy sauce maybe, yeah. yeah. Fish sauce, you'd still get, it's, it's some form of a glutamate, a sodium glutamate, uh, which is a monosodium glutamate, which is MSG. Like it's it's some form of that that you're smelling. In the, they are not necessarily aroma compounds, but when it's very intense, that's what you're smelling. I don't know the, the details of what that volatile compound might be that's common between yeah. these, but, but you'll see that connection with umami. This is a cheese that's defined for its umami. And so identifying this is very easy if you if you work in the cheese world for example and yeah it's it's a very difficult cheese to make i keep telling people like as a i'm a cheese consultant in india as well and people are like oh can you make parmesan can we make parmesan i'm like it took about a thousand years for them to make parmesan perfect i don't want to attempt it that's actually true thousand years huh that's mad yeah well approximately and probably hundreds of thousands of people like generations of people Improving, improving, improving. Yeah. Understanding why it ages better in this corner of the room as opposed to that corner and stuff like that. That it's soft knowledge, nothing written down. Now there are rules, but it all it's all handed down knowledge. And it's this great cheese that, you know, you 
you can't really recreate yeah. it in in a meaningful way i think then now is a good time to talk about the indian landscape because mm. uh, i think again 5 6 years back if you looked at the cheese options in india mm-hmm. uh, apart from your bigger brands doing super commercial stuff i don't think there was there was anything artisanal uh, back in the day and uh, just tell me a little bit more i i know of a few brands though yeah. and uh, pratik uh, spotted car we both went to photography school together nice so clearly we're doing very different things <laughs> now right but uh, t- tell me how the indian landscape is i think it is uh, it is brimming with uh, with potential there are i mean i would say spotted car has done a great job i think they started maybe 2014 around 8 years ago and uh, i may be wrong but yeah around that time and it uh, i think the the key to to the success of the mera brothers in spotted car is that they literally started you know ground up just from their basement making cheese at basement was so much fun they would have crowd <laughs> right. they they would have home brewed beer and exactly. cheese in that basement yeah and i mean when you but when you make cheese like that when you make it from and in india not even in the west where you know you can just buy really good milk off the shelf or something but finding from that level itself from that stage when you want to make your first wheel you have to find good milk you have to find the ingredients to make the cheese you have to find you're developing the know-how that's specifically good for india yeah you can't open a book and get that knowledge and that's what uh, spotted power scout did and that's you can see their success now elefteria also started uh, around the same time again mossam very talented cheese maker very focused on uh, on perfecting her recipes yeah. as she as she makes the cheese and you will see that like it, it's effortless now for her to make 1000 balls of burrata her burrata is so good and it's her amazing. truffle burrata yeah. and uh, the brunos the brunos is yeah that's the award winning cheese yeah. eh yeah uh, the brunos is excellent i i just had it recently about 2 weeks back it's like i've made brunos before but uh, that that the balance that she has with the sweet and savory and salty notes and just to think that this reduced whey you know there's just so much natural salt in whey in milk there's so much natural minerals in milk that you don't taste and you can taste that in her prunos which is amazing because it's reduced it's like hundreds of liters of whey reduced to a little bit and that's what gives you that very strong flavor if you think of it similar to something like koya or mawa when you reduce milk there's actually a lot of saltiness in traditional koya because yeah. it's this just the minerals that exist in the in the milk it's the terroir right terroir. it's it's what's the what the cows are drinking and eating and it's what's coming in the milk you know what the cows are eating and drinking just sounds <laughs> funny to me but yeah <laughs> yeah you need a cow needs to drink a lot of water to create milk it can't create milk out of yeah. just solid food yeah. right yeah. it's liquid just 95% water in in milk so yeah it does sound funny though <laughs> so we have two of them we have uh, spot cow and alfetira who else mm-hmm. Yes so these were in my opinion they were the small back in 2014 and 2016 they they grew and now they are like really well established brands in 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 Mumbai I well I've been living in Canada so I've not been following others I might miss a couple of names but I think what's happening in uh, in the north is very interesting in uh, well I don't know if it's exactly there or but generally Uttarakhand and Himachal there are some new cheese makers like Darima is 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 yeah. a good brand and uh, i'm trying to remember the other names of course there is then begum victoria in bangalore yeah. which is a very very exciting project that i've also helped uh, i've also consulted with and uh, so there are various sort of players coming in different levels so for example the guys in the north like in the uttarakhand area and himachal and all that what they're trying to do is they have good milk and they were trying to create a value added product and that's the route they took they're like okay we have the good milk already uh we're going to make cheese and we're going to sell it in delhi and bombay and so on and so forth and move to other cities and that's sort of the one model 
Then there is a Begum Victoria or the city, the city cheesemakers in general. The Eleftheria, the Spotted Cow and Begum is, is also uh, growing now. And for them, it was more like, oh, we want to make cheese. Now we're going to go search for the milk. Yeah. And then we're going to establish good networks with the milk producers and then create good cheese. So it, it came from very different aspirations, if you will. Uh, obviously, the city people are more uh, looking to, to create bigger brands, which is, again, very different. Whereas people, uh, there are lots of small cheesemakers now. There's one in Kerala. And then there's uh, maybe more than one, to be honest. And there's a farm in Chennai, which also I've consulted with since 2014. A uh, very good uh, farmstead, raw milk cheese. Probably the best you can find in India in terms of just cheese made on site at the farm and sold at the farm. What's the name? The farm in Chennai. Okay, the farm. And uh, yeah, so it's raw artisanal cheese and they don't have the potential to grow beyond that because their model is we have this much milk, this is all the cheese we can do. Bacon Victoria is also doing ghee and all, I remember. Uh, Yes. Manu showed me around, I think just when they were starting. Mm -hmm. And that's the first and only ghee tasting I've ever done. Where nice. he's like, here's four different ghee, taste it. And you could actually taste the difference. Nice. You actually go into tasting notes of butterscotch and stuff like that. Right, and right, right. Never thought uh, ghee could actually uh, taste that good. Yeah, ghee is, I mean, ghee is, is, is a big market today, right? Especially with the A1, A2 stuff, yeah. with the milk. I would say, I love Begum Victoria's uh, ghee for sure. But yeah, it's important. My dream is that everyone actually, because ghee is so important to everyone, Everyone has ghee in their house, yeah. right? Everyone has ghee in their kitchen. And so if people took it a little more seriously and were like, okay, I want this ghee. I just don't want to buy ghee that this dukan is selling. I want this particular ghee because of some taste. Yeah. You know, not because it's cheaper, not because it's supporting some friend or something like that. Because ghee is such a big part of Indian culture. If people would start, you know, choosing it based on flavor of maybe something they had that their grandma used to make or something like that then we can really have an amazing ghee explosion in India. Right now, the big players are like, there's a lot of A2 ghee and it's all about the branding, about, uh, it's it's less about the taste, but more about, oh, mine is desi cow, that's why you should buy it. Right now and, it is that, yeah. 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 So we need to go out of that and focus more on why do you like it? And I can tell you why mine is good, because it tastes better. And that's how we should be selling it or improving it. What I'll do is when this uh, episode goes live, I think I'll actually also put a list together of the geese mm-hmm. that we can at least put out on our social media. So we'll take a little break and come back with discussing how can one set up a cheese board at home or like a cheese tasting for themselves and their family or friends. Yeah. Sounds good. Welcome back to Anish Thing. We are with Adi discussing everything cheese. So Adi, if someone has to do a cheese tasting at home see not even a formal cheese tasting right people are coming over might be having some wine how does one go about setting up a cheese board and maybe perhaps like 10 recommendations of cheese everyone must try okay that's uh, those are two great questions as far as uh, like creating a grazing board at home for cheese and you know like like a cheese and charcuterie board but let's just stick to cheese but cheese board um i would say you definitely want to have variety so that comes in the form of types of milk so maybe unless someone you know in the group that you're curating this board for doesn't like goat milk i would say you want to have a soft cheese like a chef or goat cheese it's a really creates a great counterpoint to other cow milk cheeses that are very different flavored and automatically creates a very wide spectrum to your cheese board so i would say a soft cheese with goat milk is great and then you want to do 
texture wise when you're going you want to go from obviously soft to hard and then gooey gooey being the blue meringue cheeses blue cheese sort of fits in that you can it depends on whether people again blue cheese is very particular if people don't like it you don't have to put it but yeah. if you know that you're going to have a very adventurous crowd for sure put blue cheese and i would say then in that case i would do a board with say five things and let's assume that they're very adventurous people i would do a soft goat cheese maybe with some herbs provence on it and then do a blue cheese young to medium aged either cheddar or gouda and then you do a blue cheese which is going to sort of again be a good counterpoint to it's about the same age as a young cheese but it has a completely different texture. Do a blue meringue cheese, which again, completely different. It's going to be gooey and soft and unctuous. And then a once standalone, really good eight cheese. So what would be the example of the blue meringue cheese? So definitely, uh, if you could get a local version of a brie or camembert, that'll be good because uh, as we're talking about, the local cheese makers in India are doing a great job with these category of cheeses. The kind of blue meringues that you would get in a grocery store or supermarket today that's coming from Europe is usually very controlled because it has to have a very long shelf yeah. life. And so it doesn't get that gooey. But like the guys like uh, Spotted Cow and Baker Victoria, their blue meringue gets really gooey and nice and strong flavor, mushroomy and notes of uh, like earthy notes and, you know, and barnyardy notes. These are yeah. very nice. And so I would say try and go local with that in particular. For the aged cheese, you can go local or preferably go with a, with a strong flavored aged cheese. Again, Parmesan is a great example. People think of Parmesan only as a grating cheese yeah. in, over pasta. But for sure, you should hold a piece of Parmesan. I'm going to do up, that again. I'm so yeah, fascinated. Open with it this. up, smell it and taste it. And you'll be surprised. There's a lot of flavor there. Now you have five or six cheeses. The important thing is these all have fairly different textures. But you want to also play with, if, if you want to do flavored cheeses, then you need to choose one or two of those cheeses to be flavored. And that could be, for example, your cumin gouda or something like that, or a smoked cheddar. So that will, again, create a little bit more dynamics to your board. And the other important thing is your condiments. Cheese pairs well, mostly, in my opinion, with sweeter condiments. There are exceptions. I would do a smoked cheddar with mustard, for example, like the way you do smoked ham with mustard. That works. But I wouldn't want to do... And of course, like fresh mozzarella with tomatoes. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, always classic. Yeah. But uh, in general, like with a blue cheese, you want to use something that's going to relax that flavor of the blue cheese. Maybe like a jam or a compote, like a fig compote would be del delicious with it. It's pretty classic. You could have a herbed compote with rosemary or something like that. This is varieties of these are available in shops these days. Texture, you want something with, if, if there are no nut allergies, you can have nuts on the board. Smoked nuts, salty nuts, even spicy nuts. That might be very nice, spicy cashew nuts. Obviously, you want to have uh, crackers and stuff like that. Only because the cheese is already kind of, none of them are that hard. I don't like fresh bread on, on my cheese board because if I have spreads and dips, I would use fresh bread. Yeah. But with cheese, I think I would go with crackers or or excuse me, or sticks and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's going to be a fairly good cheese board. So you're thinking about a goat cheese, a blue, a nice blue cheese that you know you like, and then maybe a flavored Gouda, a bloomy rind, maybe a smoked cheddar, and then a big aged cheese at the back. Could be a Parmesan or if you can get your hands on 
like an aged gouda or something like that two year aged gouda delicious that sounds really good uh, in my addition to this board would be right now the brunost from oh, alfateria that's just a phenomenal cheese and because it's so different i know people like it's an acquired taste totally yeah and it's either love it or hate it sort of a thing in the beginning and then i think people get around to it right i mean i think most people don't know what how to react when they eat brunost it doesn't it's not at all familiar but yeah i i agree brunost again good brilliant texture i would do it with with like some sort of strawberry jam or something it'll be delicious yeah on a cracker how right now you spotted the cheese and said this has a shine and this is sheep's mm-hmm. milk and stuff can you right. give me a few tips that people can just take away and help them in this conversation or to understand cheese well visual cues are important so definitely you'll notice blue cheeses tend to be a little more white and so is feta that may not be from the milk it's also because they're higher moisture cheeses So when you see a feta that still that looks very yellow for example if it's a cow feta it might turn yellow it's because it's become very dry and that that's a bad sign or if you see a blue cheese that's uh, that's overly crumbly then it's sort of no one makes a blue cheese where you cut into it it's just going to become a crumbly mess right so overly crumbly blue cheese is not ideal there are exceptions in the sense that some people i think dana blue sometimes does the very crumbly bits of of blue but that's almost like made for salad kind of thing like a topper for salads but uh, i would say you want your blue cheese to still sort of be you should be able to cut it with a knife uh, a soft butter knife but you should also be able to make it slightly crumbly yeah. if you can other cues of course sheep milk will all sheep milk cheeses are white all buffalo milk cheeses are also white and all goat milk cheeses are also white and i'll explain why it's because cows you know when they eat grass they get beta carotenes from the grass they don't absorb the beta carotenes it goes into their milk and that's what the yellow color carotene as in carrot it's the same active compound that gives uh, carrots its color and that's what makes cow milk yellow and so should the cow ghee is usually yellow because oh, yeah. beta carotene dissolves in fat and so all that beta carotene goes into your ghee and hence you can taste the better qualities of ghee depending on the feed if you see a very pale yellow ghee you know it's probably yeah. not a great feed right got it Now what happens with goats sheep and buffaloes is that they uh, they take the beta carotene from the grass but they digest it and convert it into vitamin A and that's what comes into the milk and so you still get beta carotene is sort of the precursor to vitamin A that's what we humans would do we consume the beta carotene and we absorb it into our body as vitamin A so the these other milks are doing that for us so we still get the vitamins from it which is great if you're wondering whether it's healthy or something no it's nothing like that so those are the visual cues white looking cheese is probably a sheep goat buffalo milk and it's fairly obvious at that point whether it's going to be which one of those three so buffalo is probably going to be mozzarella which yeah. is and sheep milk you can tell this is sheep milk because it's obviously a firm cheese and you don't see a lot of firm goat cheeses Yeah. Should I we talk about like little flaws that you can identify in cheeses sometimes? Flaws and any uh, pet peeves of yours. No oh, pet peeves. Or just like mistakes people might do uh, with cheese. Okay. Yeah, so so one other thing I'd like to say about buying cheese from shops is that when you especially because we live in such a warm country, when you buy your cheese, don't buy too much. Try and buy enough so you can use it up in a few days. Yeah. I see a lot of people who buy cheese and they'll keep it and they'll be like, "Oh, this is such a precious cheese. I want to keep it for months." But after 3 weeks, it's basically not that good. Now, and this is an, an analogy to the wine world where you come from, Anish, and it's like when you open a bottle of wine, it might be a very expensive, might be a 20,000 rupee bottle of wine. 
but you can't save that you have to use it up trust right? me i'm not saving that if that <laughs> yeah. bottle's open it's 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 getting over that's the whole point yeah. i mean wine is even more volatile to yeah. the exposure to oxygen but even cheeses will eventually oxidize if not just oxidize they will develop mold on it if there's a lot of moisture in the cheese other such things so buy small quantities of cheese and use it up as and when you need don't uh, be too tempted to buy a uh, a big like 400 gram piece of cheese yeah. or something and then you don't know what to do with it and you keep and luckily it for today most of the supermarkets that keep cheese you can buy 100 grams as a starting yeah. point for any cheese so that's good so i think that's one of the things i notice that people do sometimes is that they just buy too much cheese and <laughs> it doesn't get over in time it's a declining uh, sort of a scale of 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 uh, in terms of quality it's like you know it's only going to get worse the more the longer you keep it because think of it this way okay when it's a wheel of cheese the interior has not seen oxygen you say that cheese is aged for 6 months it has never seen oxygen when you cut into it now suddenly it's exposed to oxygen it is beginning to deteriorate basically i never thought cheese would start to oxidize yeah. basically that's what's yeah, it's happening it's oxidizing it's being exposed to also potential uh, uh you know fungi and yeah. stuff that will grow on it because it has lact fungi love lactic acid there's so much lactic acid in the cheese yeah. so if you've noticed if you just gently wrap a piece of cheddar or something and put it in the fridge in uh, for like a week you will notice a bit of white mold growing on it which is okay to eat but it changes the flavor completely and you'll get that metallic taste and stuff yeah. like that And Maybe, so, uh, what about mm. the rind of the cheese? Because a lot of people on a camber also will will perhaps leave the edges. Like I've seen that a lot uh, here, at least. Ideally, you should eat well. If you, it, it's supposed to be tasty with the rind. Now that's easier said than done. Mm. Some sometimes you get camembert where the rind is a little too bitter, a brie or camembert, and there could be some over. Like these are again molds. They are live on the cheese, and they could have been too active. and they create bitter notes and so then you leave it out but ideally it you should eat the rind of camembert absolutely it's delicious if you personally don't like it you should leave it out then it's a personal do what you like but if you're wondering whether it's okay to eat the rind absolutely yeah. so on that note we'll start to wrap up the episode but is there a wrong way to really eat cheese is there such a thing that someone can do so badly that's an interesting question like I think maybe I don't like stuff like cheese pav bhaji at maybe Oh, you know, we're going that territory. <laughs> yeah, like okay. cheese inside pan or something. Yeah. But uh I cheese inside pan. Where have you been, man? Like <laughs> which places have you been? Maybe I'm coming up with this, I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's sort of thing. Uh but uh, I'm just saying, but uh, yeah. like it depends. I don't think there's any real bad way to eat cheese. I I think the best way to eat cheese is plain. on its own taste it and then think of ways to use it salads are great sandwiches are great bakes are great like if you're making like a macaroni and cheese feel free to put a bit of blue cheese in there and be delicious yeah. right or you're making a grilled cheese use three or four different cheeses mix it up and you'll get you can change the type of grilled cheese you make every day which is great and so those are great ways to eat cheese of course like if you really want to have cheese with your dosa and your and your pav bhaji i've it's nothing wrong with that i would avoid <laughs> i would avoid maybe a chev or goat che- like a goat cheese yeah. or pav bhaji stick to cheddar or, or smoked cheddar that might be delicious but there's no real wrong way to eat cheese i think that's good to know i'm not that judgmental now yeah, you just brought up pan and cheese for some reason <laughs> uh, we'll have to talk that more about that after the recording is <laughs> right. done thank you so much for coming on the show id so good to see you after so long 
Yeah, glad to have been able to come here. Yeah. Uh, can you also let us know your social media handles? Yeah. Well, you can follow me on my personal account, Big Addy. I post a lot about my travels and food in general, and my Instagram handle for my cheese business is FJ Cheese, and you can find it on Instagram. Yeah, and if anyone's traveling to Canada or coming back from Canada, please bring some cheese back for me. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, man. Thank you for coming. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed this super cheesy episode of Anish Thing and we will be back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. If you like this episode, do write to me on social media. My handle is Anish B on Twitter and Instagram. Tune in next Tuesday for yet another fun episode of Anish Thing on the IVM podcast app and all major podcast platforms.